This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. In our ongoing exploration of where gardeners are and what they're doing in our world right now, I'm really pleased to head pretty far north in conversation today with Canadian gardener Janet Melrose. Janet is known in her hometown of Calgary, Alberta, as the cottage gardener, but she is also an urban farming spokesperson and leader, a horticultural therapist, a garden coach and designer, and she is co-author with Cheryl Norman Doe of a new series known as The Prairie Gardening Guides. The first of these guides was published in March of 2020, and two additional guides have been released every year since. The series are up-to-date Q&As for gardening in Janet's specific northern prairie place on everything from vegetables to soil, seeds to garden pest management, trees, shrubs, and perennials. But even though they're specific to her place, they have lessons for us all. Janet, I am so happy to connect with you. Welcome to Cultivating Place. Good morning. I just introduced you in a basic way, but if I were to ask you to define for our listeners and even for yourself uh, in the course of this conversation, what your motivating or organizing principle might be around your relationship with plants and gardens right now, what would that be? Oh, that's a it's a complicated question, isn't it? It is. I garden for health and wellness, um, and not just health and wellness for me. I garden for health and wellness for a number of people that I work with because I'm a horticultural therapist as well. But I also garden for health and wellness for our environment. So there's a few different aspects in there that encompasses that I view that man is not divorced from nature. We are part of nature. Uh, We do have that innate connection to nature, as you're talking about, biophilia, as defined by O.E. Wilson, who just recently passed away, right? Um, To our great loss, actually. Um, Gardening is a very spiritual thing for me. Um, and in when I'm in my own garden, in my own space, I am connected to what I would call the earth, absolutely. Um, and Mother Gaia, uh, the, the, the earth goddess, of course. Um, so I'm connected in that way as well. But I'm also using it to enhance my spiritual well-being. I'm constantly learning, so my cognitive well-being. Um, if I'm with people, it's social. Gardening is social too. You can be solitary, but it can be very, very social. It grounds me. It's emotional. It's very emotional if you're gardening at the level that I love to garden, where you are just feeling all those emotions. It can release stress. It can redirect your mind. It can focus your mind. You just feel good. You feel joy. And then, of course, there is what I would call the the creative aspect of gardening, where we are look. The gardens are not natural. We create gardens, right? (laughs) You know, when people say I have a natural garden, I think, well, that's an oxymoron (laughs) because (laughs) gardens are creations, right? I may not paint, but I garden. So I would say that's a lot of what gardening means to me. Beautiful, beautiful. You know, in doing my own reading about your work, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of training pathways that you have been on. Yes. Um, But before we go along that path to get to where you are now, take us back a little bit and share with us 
the the earliest of your influences, those people yes. and places and plants that grew you into a woman for whom gardening would be almost the nexus around which all health and well-being, as you just articulated, kind of gravitates? Well, I come from English gardeners, my mother, my grandmother, my great-grandmother. So I am through and through a, 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 an English gardener in the sense of the true sense of an English gardener, very bound into the earth. My grandfather was a potato farmer, for instance. So I've come from what I call a long line of gardeners. I was born in the Caribbean. Um, and so my gardening experiences have been varied. I've done tropical yeah. gardening as a youngster, and I've, I learned at my grandmother's steps when we visited England. But my mother is probably the greatest influence simply because my grandparents in England. Um, and so I was one of these very weird teenagers who would garden with their mothers instead of <laughs> rebelling. <laughs> so my job was to do a lot of the weeding, but I also did a lot of growing with mom. And uh, I think that's, that's one of the biggest experiences that I have, absolutely, without a doubt. Um, so, uh, yes, I ascribe mom as, as my inspiration. And, and a number of the plants in my garden represent mom, either things yeah. that she passed down to me or that I purchased because I knew she liked. How old were you when you uh, landed in Calgary? Because Calgary, yeah. Where because you are you are essentially the Midwest of the U.S., but quite a bit further north. Quite fit further north, yes. So um, I I call us north north of the 49th parallel, probably around about 55 uh, latitude, and just east of the Rocky Mountains. So uh, in Calgary, where I've lived now for 50 years, good Lord, 50 years um, by way of the Trinidad and, and then England and the Edmonton. When we, we In terms of gardening, Edmonton's totally different, which they're further north than Calgary is. Um, but yeah, I've lived here for 50 years and Calgary is a unique environment. Sometimes I think of uh, the really high altitude cities of the south, um, that have the, that great altitude. They're close to the Rocky Mountains. It's quite similar type of gardening to that. Just the sun changes very rapidly in terms of the arc in the sky. So uh, we get more sun in the summer for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. So what elevation is Calgary? Uh, we're roughly 3,000 feet. So a thousand, okay, so, a thousand meters. Um, so yeah. yeah, we're pretty high up there. There's not too many yeah. other urban cities this high in in the world, actually, but certainly in North America. And then in relation to the Rockies, how far east are you? About 100 kilometers, 60 miles. Okay. Yep. And what kind of growing season do you have? Well, this is an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, it's changing big time. We get about 114 frost-free days. So our average latest frost is the middle of May, um, though I've recorded it June 10th. And our average first frost is about the middle of September, though I've recorded mm. one uh, in the last week or so of August. So we have a shorter growing season, which doesn't mean we don't have longer shoulder seasons. Um, to put that in context, back in the 1970s, we only had 74 frost-free days. So that is a significant gain. Fascinating. Over half a yeah. century, yes. 
Yes. 30 days. Yeah. yeah. It's significant. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. But I know that you didn't start out as a professional gardener. No. So you find yourself in Calgary as sort of a, a youngish adult. Yep. And, uh, or late teenager, sure. yep. you, uh, you, what happens in your life? How, how do you follow your educational path? Yeah. All right. So, um, I was meant to be a nurse because my mom was supposed to be, was a nurse, uh, except I can't stand the sight of blood. (laughs) (laughs) Which is problematic. Which is very problematic. So I ended up taking my university education as a history and sociology major. Um, and uh, social work as well. Um, But of course, um, uh, from someone who is growing up in the 1980s, um, we had a number of lovely little recessions. And so I never ended up being a sociologist or a historian, but I ended up working in the corporate world, banking to be specific. Well, I got married, had my children, um, and pursued a a very uh, worthwhile career, uh, very enjoyable. But uh, the the day that I took early retirement, I registered at Olds College, uh, which is a a 100-year-old college um, based uh, just north of Calgary. And I took my perihorticultural certificate. It's online learning, but it's intensive. Uh, They would say it's a 30-hour course, and it was like 300 hours. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, self-learning, absolutely. And I dove right into it. Um, and then I, la- I thought, well, you know, I've always gardened for my own health, my own mental health. And I have a fair exposure to people struggling with mental health disorders. Um, so I also took my uh, horticultural therapy certificates. Mm. Um, and They're at Olds also? No, I took these ones through uh, through. The, the the lady who did it came to Calgary and ran a program through the Calgary Zoo, but she was part of Providence Farm on the island, on Vancouver Island. Okay. And so since then, I have also become a master gardener because I wanted the community aspect of gardening in that respect. Mm-hmm. And I love mm-hmm. to volunteer. So, you know, master gardening is about volunteering. So together, I have those uh, certificates. But from my corporate world, I have project management, I have leadership, I have everything that comes with that piece of things. Um, And so it's interesting because my journey started off with me. I want to have gardening as my second career. You you clearly are having it. (laughs) And I've clearly got it. uh, 12, 13 years in now. But I've always gardened. One of my first memories as a three-year-old is to be gardening with my mom. So when I launched into this second career originally I thought well I'll go the traditional route you know uh, meet people design their gardens and all that kind of stuff but very quickly that journey changed Um, and I became the horticultural therapist and I discovered a love of teaching so I became an educator as well and when I do have my own clients I do coaching I don't just do it for them. In fact, I won't take a client where I only do it for them. Um, So I'm helping them become better gardeners. Um, So those are my three prongs of main pillars, except now I have a fourth one, which balances the chair. uh, And that's writing. And uh, the story of Cheryl and I getting together, well, we've known each other for a long time. But one day I got this phone call from Cheryl and she said, would you like to write a book with me? 
and it's quite fun. And did you know her? Uh, yes, yes, I'd known oh, okay, her. Okay. We hadn't, we weren't <laughs> close friends, but I knew she was a freelance writer. And I've been writing for magazines you know, off and on since. But she says, would you like to write a book? Well, everybody's been saying to me, will you write a book, Janet? You know, because you just talk and talk and talk, uh, write it down. And I thought, yeah. well, yeah, when I'm 90, I'll have some time then. But, you know, when you dang dangled a little teaser like that, um, of course, I said, sure, let's write a book. And then the, the, the result has been this wonderful series that we get to write together. Um, and originally we thought, you know, a book, but that's a pretty big book, you know. Right. Okay, so wait. So I'm going to yeah. stop you. Yeah. So you took early retirement 12, mm -hmm. 13 years ago, had no intention of being retired, clearly. Nope. Just retired from banking. Yeah. Um, and so when you did your horticultural degree at uh, Olds, mm -hmm. did you focus on anything specific there? Not particularly. I wanted a really good grounding of science to layer onto my intuitive knowledge. So it went everything from botany to soil to perennials to landscape design and that sort of stuff. So it was it was that kind of thing. And is that a two-year program at Olds so or it's what they call it's a modular program. Okay. So you take, I think I took 14 modules over close to two years now that I think about it. It was close to two years. Um, Mm -hmm. And then after that, you you did the horticultural therapy. therapy. Actually, simultaneously. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then I layered on the master gardening almost simultaneously. I was a full-time student for two and a half years. Yeah. Yeah. So what year would that have been that you started the hor or you, the horticultural the therapist was there About teaching? 2011 was when I started doing that. That's great. So, yeah. you know, I really, it, it was kind of, early days yes. in what we think of as the horticultural therapy world, world at this point and um, the ways in which it is being expressed now. Yeah. Um, at this point, would you say uh, what portion of your work life is comprised of the, the horticultural therapy? Um, Pre-pandemic, it was like 70%. Okay. Um, but pandemic has put a stop to a lot of the hort therapy um, because mine is community based horticultural therapy. I'm in the public. I'm not behind walls. Um, so not hospital setting or prisons or anything like that. Right. So right. those groups, of course, were not able to meet the last two years. But I did do some online over the last year and a half, um, which really helped people who were in isolation. Very, very isolated, totally, right? But now I'm, and I did get to do some outdoors last summer with one of my favorite groups. And this year, of course, it's more and more in person. So I'm thinking, you know, some programs came back, some did not. Um, so I would say it's about 40% right now. And I want to build it back up again, of course. This is Cultivating Place. Janet Melrose is a gardener in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. She works across a wide spectrum of the gardening world, from home gardening for personal interest, to design and garden coaching, to horticultural therapy, and writing about gardening in her place. We'll be right back after a quick break for more with Janet about the specifics of her horticultural therapy work. Stay with us. Hey, it's Jennifer. 
I really like Janet's glossing of the words company and community, which she says respectively mean coming together over bread and coming together in unity. I'm not sure of the exact etymology of these, but I really love the spirit of them. And it made me think that maybe a kindred glossing of the word garden with a big-hearted capital G is coming together on and for the earth and her many lives. What do you think? Janet Melrose is known as the cottage gardener in her hometown of Calgary, Canada, but she could also be called the Prairie Gardening Guide. She works across a wide spectrum of the gardening world, from coaching to design to horticultural therapy to being co-author of Prairie Gardening Guides. As we come back, Janet is describing the specifics of her horticultural therapy work. So the groups range from uh, children with profound disabilities, uh, anything on the autistic spectrum to full-on physical wheelchair bound. So that's one group that I work with. Another group deals with mental health disorders, lifelong mental health disorders, so the very serious ones. And in fact, another group that I really want to work with are folks with uh, a post-traumatic stress disorder in particular. Um, Another group that I worked with was more physical disabilities, cerebral palsy, MS, that sort of thing. Um, One of my favorite aspects is the disabilities that come through isolation, being marginalized in society. So that is seniors, for starters. It's children in daycares. It's students. Uh, We're all siloed into various organizations where we spend most of our time, do we meet across those barriers? And so I've done horticultural therapy essentially to bring, to break down barriers. Mm. So, and so, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Describe what an, an average uh, yes. class might look like. like. Yeah. So typically my programs are in public spaces. So uh, community gardens, um, in parks settings, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, One program I'm getting going is on an urban farm. Uh, So that's the sort of thing I like to be in. Um, The groups are typically five to 12 people, typically, though I've had up up to 20, uh, but then I needed an assistant uh, because otherwise you're running too much uh, and you can't spend any time with people. So a typical class will include Um, some form of in the garden gardening, whether it's sowing seeds, harvesting, anything else in between. I often will include a take-home component, depending, not always, but they could be a take-home component, so that we have projects that are ongoing that are at home. Because one of the best things about gardening is that you are committing to something that you will get up intend right and that carries uh, you know a session maybe only a couple of hours a couple of times a week or once a week or once every two weeks but every day you're you're caring for that long-term project um, before the pandemic we would also celebrate with something we prepared in that session whether it was a salad or a snack or a soup um, because the community is means together with bread That's literally, well, actually, sorry, company means together with bread, um, whereas community is together with unity. So to celebrate our communities, we would literally 
eat together, something that we prepared. So a large portion of my programs was to do with the edibles um, because that's where we get the most satisfaction from. We are sustaining ourselves. Um, and to be able to prepare something with either items that we've harvested just now or could be harvesting um, is very, very profound. And it gives chance uh, people's chance to develop social skills so mm. most of my programs, the goals are not like pain reduction or anything like that. Um, this is mostly about self-esteem, self-reliance, building social skills. I don't venture into the vocational skills because I, I don't like to work with people who are going that route. Um, just my choice. Um, and a lot of it is I imbue all of the sessions with that we have our responsibilities, gardeners, to be stewards of the land, to be stewards of the environment. So a lot of it is learning about aspects like that. And it's not like I sit down and, and give you a lecture. I sort of drip it out. So people are, are hearing this and then they can talk about it later, should they choose to. Um, and it's can be very, very profound. Um, for instance, one man told me, couple of years ago now he says you know I never used to like vegetables but now I love them in fact I don't think I've had a McDonald's for the last two years type of thing and that's a significant change to that man's health um, and viewpoint right I've had people who are housebound but wanted to garden so they overcome their fear of going outdoors to come that's very significant. Very significant, yeah. You know, so it can be, but it can just be people enjoying being in the garden. You know, that's where they're grounded. Um, and then they're able to take it home and, and transfer that to what they're doing at home. That's also, you know, it's it's not just gains, it's maintenance as well. That's the mm -hmm. important bit, right, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It is. So, it is. And it's building that habit of, of yes. you know, engagement and commitment and community. Right. Um, yes. Whichever. Yeah. yeah. And beautiful, I'd even go beautiful. so far, especially for folks like my mental health folks, a purposeful activity that contributes to the to the community is powerful because so many people are marginalized and they don't feel like they're contributing anything. So, you know. Yeah. That that aspect of self-worth that then is that positive feedback loop for what you're doing and why you're doing it is, is it's in, it's incredible. Yeah. It's extremely powerful and, and satisfying to be able to be working that way. Wow. Well done. And so you are, you know, you are coaching gardeners, mm -hmm. you are doing horticultural therapy. therapy and uh, you're, you're a master gardener and building your, your community and learning through your volunteer hours, as well as teaching other people, right? right? Yes. Know, someone calls and says, what is this? And you have to learn about yeah. it in order, yeah. yeah, which is great. Yeah. Uh, it's a good mechanism, yeah. that one. Yes. And, and then one day Cheryl approaches you and says, would you like to write a book? H how long ago was that? And uh, and when she said it, did she describe the book she had in mind? I'll start with Cheryl. Cheryl is a, a, a freelance writer. She's been writing for years. Um, she's a big volunteer for the Calgary Horticulture Society, and she's a master gardener as well. Uh, plus, she has certificates like me um, in various uh, things. A lot. One of them is to do with sustainable ag agriculture. 
Uh, okay. okay. So Cheryl, um, and she was born in Grand Prairie. So she's even further north than Calgary <laughs> as her home base. Um, the northern girl. She's yeah. the real northern girl. And Cheryl is also a librarian. So you can see where Cheryl loves to be. She's also one of the co-founders of a huge Facebook group, 60,000 people, that's called Alberta Gardening. Um, so uh, Cheryl, just is, she's just as much embedded into gardening as I am, just differently, right? So it's always been the vision that we would do Q&A. So uh, rather than just the, the uh, standard where we just sort of have chapters and then descriptions and things like that, we always knew we wanted it to be a question and answer format. And we also knew it wasn't going to be short questions and answers. It was sh some short, some long. Um, but we thought one book. We didn't think a series. But when Touchwood Editions expressed an interest, and by the way, they are a fantastic uh, publisher for us. They, they are just wonderful, a delight to work with. Um, but they said, well, how about a whole series, not just one book? And we went, oh, bite-sized chunks. Yes, let's do it. And the whole, it, it seems, the whole concept from the beginning was a sort of guide to how to garden yes. in your exact location on the northern prairie. Yes. So the, the I would say the geographical um, load, uh, the central load, is going to be your northern plains uh, Canadian prairies. Uh, stretching from Alberta all the way into northern Ontario, down south to, I don't know where the, the Northern Plains ends these days. Yeah, I, I don't, I mean, I would say you're down into Nebraska, Nebraska Kansas yeah. even. I yeah. mean, I, I, many of these things will be resonant if they're not exactly the climate. It's close. The, the, yeah, the, the philosophy in general approach is very similar. That's right. And I would say the barriers too. You know, harsh mm -hmm. winters, yes. not a wonderfully long growing season. Um, by the way, if you are gardening where you get a, a winter, you get to take a break, which is kind of nice. <laughs> you know, uh, it's and, true. You know, if you're down in Florida, you're still hacking away the foliage in January. <laughs> <laughs> you are. <laughs> There is something beautiful about that winter reset yeah, when you get it. It really yeah. is. Um, but the the a lot of the principles, the concepts, even the techniques are universal. We've had people from Atlantic Canada saying, love the books. They're, they're so relevant, right? Um, even in BC over the Rockies, yeah, still the premises are there. Uh, the plants change. Um, some of our specific techniques to make a season longer are maybe not so relevant, but if I was going to say a, a reader from just about anywhere could pick up 90% and be more than happy. Um, and that was the goal, actually. We, we are prairie gardeners. This is um, the, the, the target audience, are our winter gardeners. Um, but uh, no, gardening is, is very much universal. For instance, soil, we have over the last few decades but especially the last decade have got this real understanding that soil is not just a substance mm. that our plants mm. are in and i loved so so for readers to to get a sense of the series there is um and was it was soil the first book no actually um, okay um 
vegetables, oddly enough, right. not Makes knowing sense, that the pandemic's but... coming. Um, right. Vegetables was the Good first. Call. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you can't have, and, and because it's, I don't know why we chose veggies, but it's a great one. Um, and because I think it's a perfect access point. That's is. why everybody, everybody like recognize that that is a good thing to, to start. And from there you can learn about the soil and seeds so and things yeah. like that. So the first two, we do two a year. So the, uh, so it was veggies. And if you're going to do veggies, you got to do pests and diseases, right? So pests and diseases is not just veggie diseases, but it's all about the philosophy of managing. I love the word managing. We don't manage anything in nature. No. <laughs> um, coping, <laughs> trying coping. to cope with, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, um, working with the wildlife world, the, the insects, the mammals, the birds, everything, um, and mm. the pathogens, uh, mm. be there bacteria and fungi and stuff like that. They're not all about pathogens, of course. Um, that that was with the first two. So how do we how do we garden without uh, destroying the natural world, and yet still manage to get the tomato that we want and the, and the fruit and all that kind of stuff. And then the next two last years were seeds, of course, and uh, we also did small space gardening because that's a massively important topic for, as people go into smaller spaces. And then this year's was soil and then trees and shrubs. This is Cultivating Place. This week, we're in conversation with Janet Melrose, a gardener from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Janet works across a wide spectrum of the gardening world, from design to coaching to horticultural therapy to updating prairie gardening guides for her Canadian high prairie place. We'll be right back for more about the prairie gardening guides and more specifically how teachers and writers are also lifelong students when it comes to the garden. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Jennifer, thinking out loud this week. So I frequently talk about this, especially when I'm speaking in person, and especially when I'm speaking about the philosophy of cultivating place as expressed through gardens and gardeners in my books, The Earth in Her Hands and Under Western Skies. I see gardening and gardens as an earthly variation on a three-part harmony, as expressed by each gardener. In this way, each single gardener's expression is a particular that adds to and enriches and expands on the universal concept of what gardens are and what gardening is. This three-part harmony or trinity or braid as envisioned by Robin Wall Kimmerer includes the gardener's personal history brought to that plant palette or garden space. It includes the cultural history and context in which that garden and gardener sit, which is a little different in 21st century Northern California of the United States than it might be on the prairies outside of Calgary, Canada, or on a tidal river in Australia, or on a little balcony in Tokyo, or on the chalk downs of England. The third part of this three-part harmony is, then in my mind, the natural history of each place each of us might live, even if we can't always see the full expression of that natural history because of human habitation to that point. This would include 
The microclimates, the geology, the watershed, the faunal and floral relationships that have long co-evolved in any place and for whom a garden might offer important refugia in our current world. Now here's the thing. Every garden does include all three of these parts. But in many of our gardens, one or more of these threads is highly underdeveloped maybe even undervalued, maybe even unseen. As you look at your garden, can you see what I mean? Your own story, the story of the place, and the story of your culture expressed or reflected there? And as you look at it, which of these threads do you think might need more attention or respect from you in your garden place? I'd love to hear your thoughts on this theory of mine. You know how to reach me, cultivatingplace at gmail.com, or you can always leave me a message on this week's post on Instagram, where you will find me at cultivating underscore place. This week on Cultivating Place, we are speaking with Canadian gardener Janet Melrose. In her hometown of Calgary, Canada, she is known as the cottage gardener, but she could also be known as the prairie gardening guide. Janet works across a wide spectrum of the gardening world, but as we come back, she is talking about her most recent work, updating common understandings of gardening in her specific prairie place. In a series of books, which are Q&As in their format, about gardening on the Canadian prairie. She starts us off with her increased appreciation for gardening in her place after writing these guides, and especially her greater appreciation for the soil, what we know about it, and the beautiful mystery of all that we still don't know. You know, now I think as a gardener, I'm about a 60% soil gardener and a 40% plant person, maybe. Simply that love affair with soil, is, it's, it will save us. If we have good soil, it will save humanity and the rest of the planet. Um, so, yeah, do we disregard it as we're, um, yeah, at our peril? <laughs> at our peril. But I would say the same thing, Janet, about uh, seeds and 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 just our angiosperms in this world. Like the, that is the trinity right yep. there. Yep. And, um, you know, of course, you need yes. water. You need water. To go yeah. with that, like all holy water. Right. But it it is this fantastic interrelationship. Oh, and yes. um, our being part of it is important. So when you were you and Cheryl began the process and you began to lay out the bite-sized chunks that you would take on. Maybe describe your process. Ah, uh, and, okay. you know, you, you do quite a bit of uh, acknowledgement of, you know, what has come before us and where we are now. Did you relate in your in your research and, and writing process and editing? Um, did you engage with the first nations and, and their roles planting and and then the, and how the native plant and native environment kind of informed how you were writing about this garden level okay um 
the books, the, the, the questions, the bite-sized questions, they came from Cheryl and I's um, repertoire, I would say, of the questions that we always see, the ones that we always get. Uh, the intent of the book is always a book series, um, is meant to target, um, I would call brand new gardeners, up to intermediary and into the expert level, because the experts always pick up a book because they know they'll learn something, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so it's meant to be what I would call um, general gardening, as opposed to anything um, specific or aligned with any particular movement, if you see what I mean. Okay. Um, did we consult with the Indigenous folks? Not yet. Um, the reason why is both Cheryl and I are exploring, we are starting to explore that world of gardening, um, the foraging gardening, the, I have done some work with Indigenous folks with uh, creating an Indigenous garden in one of my projects. Um, to me, the, the Indigenous folks didn't garden in the way that we think of gardening. They created gardens, but it wasn't similar to settled uh, farms and things like that. So they have a totally unique uh, point of view. Um, and I'd love to, um, I'm starting to want to mesh it is where we are. Um, and so when I think of the Indigenous land, uh, stewardship of the land, I think of the principles rather than the practicalities, so to speak, or the methods. How about that? Because Canada, because of the way we go up into the north, you know, it's almost like layers. Uh, what you do in Medicine Hat down near the border, uh, totally different than what you're going to do in high level, right? Totally different. Um, but the, the principles are there. They're, they don't change. So when I'm creating a, a, a space that I consider to be Indigenous, it's along the lines of, are we paying attention to the soil? Have we considered the plants being the right place? There's that motto, right place, plant, plant, but now it's right function. There's three. So I consider the plants. Are they appropriate? Um, will they do what we want them to do? Are we gardening destructively or proactively? Are we conserving what we use? Um, those principles are the ones I look for. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that whole mindset mm -hmm. for me is very much informed by the Indigenous land stewardship ethic, yeah, right? Yeah. And so give us an example. Uh, and I don't know if that's, you know, from the vegetable book or from the the, the tree book. I, I, I'm not sure because I think they work really well as a as a whole, um, and then you can look at the component parts. But I love that idea of function um, as being one of the tenants that we need to consider. You know, whether it's whether we're talking about an annual vegetable and or, or a perennial. You know, yeah. yeah. In fact, one of our upcoming books will be on perennials. Um, good, yes, good. absolutely. Um, Got to put the bones in first, i.e. the trees and shrubs, right? What's the next layer? Your perennials. So, um, so if I view function, all right, let's take peas, all right? Fairly simple veg, but peas, um, they are in the Fabiaceae family, the legume family. So they are nitrogen fixers. They're one of the few um, 
uh, genuses and families that can take atmospheric nitrogen and fix it in the soil with the help of a bacteria in a symbiotic relationship. So that's number one. So they're, con they're contributing to soil building and providing nutrients. Every part of a pea is edible, whether it's the stem, the leaves, the flowers, uh, the pods, whether we take the peas out or not. Um, they are pollinators. They bring in the pollinators. Uh, they can provide structure. Uh, other things can climb up them. You can cut down the stalks and dig them into the soil, and now you've got biomass being added into the soil. So how many different functions did I just describe for one plant? That's how I view plants, you know, and they're beautiful. They're beautiful. I love pea flowers, right? Sweet peas, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Don't eat sweet peas. They're bad. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty well. Good point. Yeah, Good point. Only yes. one that, they, are, they are a pea, but they they are not, they're not the edible yeah, kind. Yeah, they're not right. the edible kind. Um, but they have the beautiful smell instead. So yeah. that's how I view plants. Uh, let's take a tree. What does a tree do? It provides shade. It moderates the temperature underneath, which we need in their hot summers these days. It cuts noise pollution, light pollution. It filters our air. It can be climbed into it. Um, it builds soil through their massive roots. It contributes leaves to enrich the soil. It has fruit, it has nuts, it has all sorts of things. So trees, um, they all provide all of those multifunctions. So that's how I sort of view the plant world. Um, the insect, why I view, are they there to scavenge and clean up all of the plant debris? All right. Or are they there to pollinate? Are they there to aerate the soil? Um, are they, the, are they, I always used to say slugs. What's the point of a slug, you know? And we get baby slugs, not big slugs. But, you know, if I lived on Vancouver Island, I'd run through the hills. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ours are about <laughs> an inch, slugs. you know, about an inch. And, and so I said, you know, I was going to do a workshop and I called it the, the beautiful, big, beautiful and ugly or something like this in terms of insects. Uh, and the guy said, every, every insect's uh, beautiful. I'm going, oh, good grief. This is an entomologist. Uh, and I says, well, what about slugs? They're pretty ugly. He says, they're not an insect. And I went, oh, yeah, you're right. However, okay, good point. Yeah, right. good point. <laughs> However, slugs have a very good point. Uh, they are robin food. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I think, is do possums eat them too? Um, oh, yeah. Lots of things eat them. And skunks, and maybe. Skunks, and, for yeah, sure. We don't get yeah. possums up in our neck of the wood. Um, oh, but okay. yeah, certainly skunks. Absolutely. Um, my cats love to play with them, you know, so entertainment, you know. Um, so they've got all that. And functions. I think yeah. that function mindset yeah. allows us to look at what isn't working well for our for, for what we think we want or what we think we're trying to do yeah. and think about it differently. This is one of the things I love about your series is that it if it you start with what their function is supposed to be and how they're supposed to work, whether it's a tree or a veg or a flower or, you know, then you can say, well, if that's how it's supposed to work and it's not working out for me, I must be doing something wrong. So how do I adjust that's to right. make that function most functional for that's, everybody? Yeah. And and typically it's not that we're doing something wrong. We just haven't taken into account all of the variables. Right. And we have the wrong expectation or something, right? Yeah. That's right. You know, if I'm going to plant my mango tree, which I adore because it's where I come from, will it do very well where I live now? 
not a hope, you know, so why would I even want to do this? Well, that's an extreme hyperbole, but you know, that's a pretty good hyperbole. I don't think I'll ever get to grow a mango tree up here um, in my lifetime, (laughs) maybe in a few million (laughs) years when things drift around. (laughs) Um, But let's say I want to plant a birch tree. All right. Do you guys have birch trees? Yeah. Okay. Birch trees, they love water. They love lots and lots of water. Beautiful things, right? Paper birch is very Canadian because um, you would make the canoes out of the birch, right? So very, very Canadian thing. But they hate being planted on a dry spot. So they're not going to get enough moisture. And so as a result, they're weaker. They get uh, either borers or leaf miners. They just don't perform very well. Um, They may not produce seeds, so the birds don't have something to eat. So what was the one thing we did wrong? We didn't realize that they should be planted lower in the garden and get more water. And that's the only thing we did wrong. Did we do it wrong? No, we just didn't know better yet. And that's that's the key. Um, And But plants are very adaptable too. So let's say, well, we can't move this poor birch. It's been there for 10 years. I can't move it, it's big. How can I improve the soil so that it's going to get the moisture that it needs? And so you do, and now all of a sudden it's happy. It doesn't get um, the, the insects, it flowers out beautifully. And now you have a very ornamental and productive tree. So, you know, it's all of those sorts of things that we can do. Yeah, yeah. So when you, um, you have six books out now, you and Cheryl, yeah. and one of the things I do love about them is that they are bite-sized yes. so that, you know, they aren't these massive volumes, but they still have a lot of information. And so depending on what you're looking for, you can go to the, the correct one. one and yes. look at it. Not only that, I expect them to get dirty. I want coffee yeah. rings on them. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I like it. You know, take them into your bathtub. Yeah. And if you drop it in the water, you're not out that much money, right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. The um, And you can actually tote it around, yes. Yes. which is, uh, it's, it's portable. When you look at this process now, which is um, given when you, you, you started the process with Cheryl, I mean, I think we're looking at sort of four years yes. almost in. Yeah. Um, what have been some of your biggest surprises about this process and um, and how it's landed or, or what you've learned along the way? way. I've learned tons. Uh, both Sharon and I are big researchers. Um, in my office, there's close on three, 400 books that they've all read. Um, and I refer <laughs> back to them all the time. Um, we've checked out a bazillion different websites. Absolutely. Um, what I've, I've added to my depth of my learning, and I think the biggest surprise would be just how much I've added to my own knowledge, the depth of my knowledge. So now when I give a workshop, I can provide much more deeper meaning to what it is that I teach. Um, so I, I think I would call that a surprise because I just didn't realize just how much I was going to be absorbing myself. I've certainly matured as a writer. There's no doubt about that. Um, I learned how to write in three different styles, academic, business, and now narrative. <laughs> so uh, so my style is very conversational, and I keep t- being told, uh, chop it down, make it smaller, because <laughs> you got to. Ch- we want to pack all that info in, all of that information, the science. So yeah, we don't need to, to be waffling around too much. Um, the... I think 
I would say the surprise perhaps is just the reception of the books. Um, the first year someone said it's like sitting down with you across the table and just having a conversation. Uh, same tone of language as I speak, um, same sort of wonky humor that both Cheryl and I have, and it felt very uh, intimate. So that was a, one of our first pieces of feedback that we loved. Um, people love the detail, they love the research, absolutely. Um, out of every book we have to chop tons because we keep writing too much. Um, and for instance, Soil Volume 2 is already half written, right? Um, the other piece is the fact that people say it's, it's new, it's up to date. And they say it's for us. It's not for a climate that isn't relevant to us, if you see what I mean. Um, I do. Yeah. I do. Because I think you experience the same thing we experience, which is that most gardening information, whether that's, you know, ornamental articles or whether it's the how-to technical, is all bi-coastal. Yes. And, and the, it's like there's nothing exists in the middle of our countries. And, and yes. that's where so many of us that, as gardeners are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, who cares whether or not uh, you can plant your potatoes on Good Friday, which is what my granddad always swore by. Well, good Lord, I'd need a pickaxe to do that tomorrow. <laughs> you know, right. Um, so it's, it's relevant for us. Um, and, and there was a series of books written by a very lovely lady called Lois Hole. Um, she was in Edmonton. And she wrote a ton of similar sorts of books, in the sense of it was for the our neck of the woods, but that was 40 years ago. We hadn't, I hadn't realized it was that long ago. So much in gardening has changed. Um, even over 10, 15 years, we mm -hmm. are. It really has. We are. Um, our need to conserve, to provide refuge um, for the wildlife. They're now saying urban gardens, gardens have more biodiversity than the rural and the wilderness areas. Um, so we, as gardeners, we are, should be very proactive. We should be caring about our environment, our climate, our planet, more than the garden that we're creating, if you see what I mean. Uh, we have a larger responsibility and more and more people are doing this. It's not just, I need, I have a home, I need to put this, this, and this, and, and finish it off, if you would mean. Plants are not commodities. Um, and I think the spirit of gardening is deepening. Uh, Me too. It's, it, it used to be decorative. No, yeah. not anymore. Well, and I, I don't know. I mean, you look back to your mother, your grandmother, right? It was spiritual, but it was never it was never represented that way in, in, or not never, it was rarely represented that way in the mainstream media or, or publishing You're industry. Right. Yeah. So I think that's what we're getting that's back what, is we are yeah. getting that articulation and clarity, which I think is helping. It's powerful. It really is powerful. Mm -hmm. um, gardening is no longer um, the gardening of my youth. It's certainly not the gardening of my adult world when I was raising my children. Um, then I did gardening for leisure, for mental health, for enjoyment. Uh, now I do it because it's very powerful. You know, it is, as you mentioned, the nexus of my life. Um, it's, you know, it is extremely, uh, for me, it's so vital to my person 
for my own health and wellness. I don't imagine being not able to do it. You know, if my knees give out, I'll figure a way. <laughs> right. right. Well, yeah. yeah. And and I think it that speaks directly to your earlier um, reference that the horticultural therapy reminds people what contribution we can make through gardening. That's right. And we can. As gardeners, we are powerful. You know, there are so many gardeners across our nations. Um, we all get together. We're all improving our environment. So, yeah, you know, the, the, the thought that one person can't make much of a difference, collectively, we sure as heck can. Yeah. Thank you very much for being a guest on the program today. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me. It's been a fun morning. It really has. Janet Melrose is known in her hometown of Calgary, Alberta, Canada as the Cottage Gardener, but she is also an urban farming spokesperson and leader, a horticultural therapist, and most recently, she is co-author with fellow gardener Cheryl Normando of a series known as the Prairie Gardening Guides. The first of these guides was published in March of 2020, and two additional guides have been released every year since. One of the things that I love about this conversation with Janet is a look at just how many ways each of us as gardeners is or can be embedded and related to our larger gardening world and our larger communities. Listen in again next week when, still in the dog days of summer, we revisit a conversation with Owen Wormser on transforming lawns to meadows in our world. At this time of year, when the chore of caring for a lawn in your gardening life might be more taxing on your time and resources than you really want or need or enjoy, I thought this would be a nice review. Join us. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio, part of CAP Radio, licensed to Chico State Enterprises. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you. For more information and many images from Janet Melrose about the Prairie Gardening Guides and her life there on the Canadian Prairie, head on over to this week's show notes under the podcast tab at cultivatingplace.com. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler with tech and web support every week by Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week... Enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.